So a hook has four basic steps, a trigger, an action, a reward, and finally an investment. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks, this is how our preferences are shaped, how our tastes are formed, and how these habits take hold. Monetization is a result of engagement, not the other way around. So unless we figure out a way to get people to keep coming back, then they're gonna shop around, right? They're always gonna shop around based on price and features. And eventually if we don't keep that customer because the competition decides to you know, lower their price by a nickel, we're in trouble. So what we wanna try and do is to find ways to keep people engaged. Now, whether you're an engineer, a marketer, uh, a CEO, whatever, what you do for a living is to come up with, hard, with, with novel solutions to hard problems. And that can only be done through focused work. That can only be done when we have time to just do one thing at a time. We cannot do our best work if we're constantly interrupted and distracted. And that is coming up next on Bootstrapping Your Dreams Show. So stay tuned. So the big question is this. How are ambitious people like us who don't have a lot of resources, did not go to Ivy League colleges, were not born into wealth, how do we become resourceful enough? Use our creativity, our dedication, and a little bit of crazy to bootstrap our way to realizing our dreams. Whether it is launching a new company, launching a new app, or making it to the top of the corporate ladder. That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. We have created a tremendous community of bootstrappers, entrepreneurs, and professionals who are ambitious, resourceful, and want to get things done. We brainstorm, support, and help each other out. So come join us. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. Join today and get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series absolutely free. If you enjoy this video, then do let us know by hitting that like button now. Or if you want us to improve our content, then go ahead and hit that thumbs down button and give us your honest feedback in the comment section below. Here at Tetra Noodle, we are passionate about entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. Every week, we bring you insightful and engaging videos, interviews, tips, tricks, and strategies to help you grow your business or rise in your corporate profession. If you're new here, please do consider subscribing and do not forget to hit that bell icon so that you are notified when we publish new content. Hello and welcome to this new episode of Bootstrapping Your Dreams show. I'm your host Manoj Agarwal and today we'll be talking with Neer Eyal. So Neer is a marketing strategist, an entrepreneur, online marketer, blogger and a published best-selling author of two books, Hook, How to Build Habit-Forming Products and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. He has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Hasso Plattner Institute of Design. His writing on technology, psychology, and business appears in the Harvard Business Review, the Atlantic, TechCrunch, and Psychology Today. Nir is also an active investor in habit-forming technology. Welcome, Nir. Thank you so much. Great to be here. All right, great. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, conquests in the marketing side of things? We'll start there, and then we'll move on to some other interesting topics. Yeah, so my first book was about how to build habit-forming technology, and the idea there was to democratize many of the techniques that we see in companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and WhatsApp use uh, so that we can make all sorts of products that uh, could benefit users more engaging and more habit-forming. And so the idea was to democratize many of these techniques. You know, the gaming companies and the social networks have known them for years and years, 
my idea with Hooked was to allow these techniques to be used by anybody in business who wants to create the kind of sticky product that people keep coming back to. Uh, and then with Indistractable, it's kind of a same audience, different topic, but uh, as an industry insider, as someone who has helped build these habit-forming technologies, I can tell you technology's Achilles heel so that you can make sure that you don't overuse these technologies and get potentially distracted. So in Indistractable, I really dive into the deeper psychology of why we become distracted, not just from technology, but from all kinds of things, our colleagues, superfluous meetings, all kinds of things are potentially distracting. And I help people accomplish whatever it is that they say is important to them by making sure that they remove the distractions that are in their way. Oh, I see. So that's interesting. The first book was about you know how to use these tools to your advantage, and and the second one is how to sort of protect yourself from these uh, these tools and getting distracted. Is yeah. Right? Well, who 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 better to teach you than an industry yeah. insider? And there's a lot of hype yeah, out there. I think there's a lot of technophobia out there, and it makes for a great story that technology is addicting everyone and that it's hijacking our brain. And that's rubbish. It's only true if you believe it's true. And so what I wanted to show people is that these techniques are very good, but they're not that good. <laughs> that we as individuals who can plan ahead, who can uh, take steps in advance to make sure we don't become distracted, we are much more powerful than the tech companies. For sure. All right. So let's dive in into Hooked a little bit. And you know, it's an interesting uh, area, habit-forming uh, products. And as you rightly said, you know, these products are actually some, in some way addictive to certainly for, for a lot, uh, lot of population out there. So what are some of the techniques that you can share? You know, obviously we don't want to reveal everything that is in the book, but whatever you can share right now uh, to pique the interest of the listeners and viewers uh, in terms of, you know, um, adding this uh, component of habit forming uh, effectiveness their product process. Yeah. So any product that needs to be used with sufficient frequency. Now, not every business needs to be habit forming, uh, but every business that needs to be habit forming needs a hook. So if your business model requires people come back on their own, unprompted, without sending them spammy advertising and you know annoying messages, if your business needs to bring people back, then you've got to have a hook built into it. And so a hook has four basic steps a trigger, an action, a reward, and finally an investment. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks, this is how our preferences are shaped, how our tastes are formed, and how these habits take hold. So basically you can walk through a hook very quickly. It starts with a trigger, an external trigger prompts us to action, it tells us what to do next with some kind of ping, ding, something that prompts us to take the next action. The action is the simplest behavior done in anticipation of a reward. It's opening an app, checking a dashboard, pushing play on a video, any simple thing that, that uh, provides us to the next step, provides us relief through the reward phase. Now the reward phase is where the user gets what they came for, where their itch is scratched, and where there's a bit of mystery that entices them to engage with the product next time. And then finally, the investment phase is where the user puts something into the product that makes it better and better with use. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks trigger action reward investment this is how consumer habits are formed so that eventually you don't even need those external triggers eventually people start using your product or service because they remember themselves they trigger themselves to use your product based on attaching your product's use to what's called an internal trigger an internal trigger is some kind of uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape so some kind of feeling that when i use a product or service provides relief now 
every business, every product is only used for one reason. There's only one reason, and that is to modulate our mood, to feel something different. And so your product's goal, if you're building a habit-forming product, is to attach to that uncomfortable feeling so that every time the customer feels um, anxiety, insecurity, stress, fatigue, whatever it might be, your product is what they turn to out of habit. That's great. So, I mean, taking an example of Facebook, so it seems like, uh, you know, the notifications uh, that pop up, it seems to be that that's trigger. Is that right? And, and then that would be the external trigger, right? So the notification, the external trigger, the action is yeah. opening the app, the scrolling, the feed is the variable reward. And the investment is every time you like, every time you comment, every time you uh, contribute, friend somebody, these are all forms of investment that make the product better and better in, with use and load the next trigger so that you come through the hook again in the future. So that eventually you're not just using it whenever you're uh, getting an external trigger, like a notification, you use it when you're feeling bored or lonely, seeking connection. Now you're using it on your own habitually. Yeah, so there's some really deep psychology here, right? So there is some, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of tunes in into uh, some deep-rooted beliefs or a need that we all as humans have. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, these are age-old human uh, needs and desires when it comes to why we use various products. The products change, but our core human emotions and, and psychology does not change. Mm. So uh, now, you know, obviously social media platforms use it very effectively. Now, um, let's say if, if a new uh, entrepreneur wants to start a company, maybe they are uh, thinking about launching a new app or it's maybe a, a physical product, maybe a wearable product. So how can you uh, sort of adapt these uh, techniques to a different paradigm, a different product or service? Sure, yeah. So uh, first of all, every product today is a digital product. <laughs> we all have some kind of digital component. And uh, the fact of the matter is, if we don't have some kind of competitive moat, if we don't have some way to block out uh, our advantage, then we're just competing on price and features all day long, right? Price and features, price and features. You know, if you, um, you know, let's take a product that's not very habit forming. Let's take a product like insurance, right? Mm -hmm. Home insurance, car insurance, you never will use habitually. You don't use it frequently enough for it to ever become a habit. The problem with a product like that is that you know today Geico can say, hey, we'll save you 15% on car insurance. Tomorrow, somebody else comes out and says, we'll save you 20% on car insurance. Mm -hmm. And so that cycle of constantly beating each other up based on price and features is very expensive. And we know what happens over time, your margins go to zero. When you have some kind of competitive moat around your business, this is what Warren Buffett always talks about, the kind of businesses he likes to invest in, this is what makes, gives you a competitive advantage. Now, it doesn't just have to be habits. You can have a, a competitive barrier through intellectual property, trademark, economies of scale, but habit happens to be one of these amazing barriers to entry that can give your business a huge competitive advantage. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you wanted a great example, look at Google, one of the biggest companies in the world right now. You know, 90% of people Google every day and they don't even consider the competition. When was the last time you said to yourself, hmm, I wonder who has the best search engine? Never. You just Google it with little or no conscious thought. Why? Is it because Google is better? No. It turns out in third-party studies, when they show people the search results from Google versus Bing, and they strip out the branding so that the user doesn't know which results are whose, it's a 50-50 preference split. People can't tell the two apart. 
And yet we just Google it with little or no conscious thought. And that's the power from a competitive standpoint of habits is that once you have a habit in the consumer's mind, they don't even consider the competition. It doesn't matter what the competition does anymore, right? And so that's yeah. the amazing power of, of building a, a, a habit. Now, how do we translate that to, to offline businesses? Well, simple. You know, very few businesses will actually make buying the habit, okay? Everybody wants to know about how do I get people to check out? And that's a mistake. What you want to do is to find ways to get people to check in. Because this is the mantra I want everyone to write down. Okay, get your pen and paper out. The mantra I want you to remember is that monetization is a result of engagement, not the other way around. Let me say that again. Monetization is a result of engagement, not the other way around. So unless we figure out a way to get people to keep coming back, then they're going to shop around right? They're always going to shop around based on price and features. And eventually, if we don't keep that customer because the competition decides to you know, lower their price by a nickel, we're in trouble. So what mm -hmm. we want to try and do is to find ways to keep people engaged. Now, how do you do that? There's two big ways to make a product something that can form a habit around the product without making the purchase itself the habit. Because for the vast majority of products, purchasing does not occur frequently enough to be able to form a habit around, right? Uh, so, for example, if a product is, is not used all that frequently, we can form a habit around community with that product. So take a look at Williams-Sonoma. Williams-Sonoma makes cooking products, but buying cookware will never be a habit. It doesn't occur with sufficient frequency. So what did they do? They built a website called Taste, and this website is constantly making all of this great content that people do form a habit around. Twice a day, they're cranking out this amazing content about you know, wonderful recipes and stories about chefs and all of this great stuff so that the result of all that engagement, when it is time to buy some cookware, guess where people go? They go to Williams-Sonoma. Yeah. Another example is that you can build a community around your product. So take, for example, Hallmark. Hallmark sells Christmas ornaments, okay? Christmas ornaments are not something that will ever become a habit in terms of buying uh, yeah. uh, uh, these, these Christmas ornaments. And yet, in the middle of the summer, you will find people lined up in front of Hallmark stores to buy Christmas ornaments. Why is that? Well, the secret there, and 300,000 people, by the way, are members of the, of the Hallmark Keepsake Ornament Club. And the mm -hmm. secret is that they have built engagement around this community all year round. It's not just about buying the products. It's about interacting with our friends because, mm. you know, Marjorie's on this message board and I'm emailing with Jim and we're trading and we're talking and we're communicating. We've built a community so that the result of all that engagement is eventual monetization. And so those are two things that we can do. We can bolt onto our business content or community. Those two things can be habit forming. We can form hooks around them so that the result of all that engagement is eventual monetization. Great. Um, and now, you know, we, we have a lot of um, entrepreneurs, uh, startup founders in the audience, and obviously the, the theme of the show is bootstrapping. And so when you're bootstrapping, you may not be able to accomplish all that, what we talked about. But one of the typical ways people try to get engagement is through email marketing, uh, you know, providing some value through email. Uh, now, you know, we receive a lot of email every day, each one of us, and my inbox is flooded. I'm sure yours is too. So. What do you think is the effectiveness of email marketing today? Is it still very effective or uh, there are some other better ways to engage people? 
Well, email is a, is a form of an external trigger, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's what I call an owned trigger. There are various types of, of external triggers. Uh, some you have to pay for, right, when you were renting somebody else's uh, attention, right? So if you buy an ad on Google or on television or on the radio, you are renting uh, somebody who owns a habit, right? You are in the habit of Googling, you are in the habit of watching TV. And so they're monetizing your attention by selling it to an advertiser, but you have to pay for that. Email is amazing because you don't have to pay anyone to rent someone else's attention. You own that direct line of communication with your customer. So it's a pretty good external trigger. If you can get someone to give you your, your email, uh, their email, then that can be a great way to keep in touch with them, to send them content, to send them updates, that can be wonderful, and it's still shown to be you know pretty effective, especially given the fact that it's you know relatively cheap to to send people. Um, so email is wonderful. I mean, it's people have been predicting the death of email for a very long time. I I think it works great. The only thing that's better than email is not needing an external trigger at all, right? Mm -hmm. What if you could get a customer to come to your website, to check out your app, to even visit your store habitually without any kind of external trigger? That's even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, email could be the first step as you bootstrapping your startup, but then try to think about building community or or other triggers that. Uh, or or that to make the product to... itself habit forming. I mean, it doesn't you know yeah. you don't need this doesn't require a lot of money. Uh, mm -hmm. The the price of building a business today has really collapsed. The tools are all out there. How to use these tools is all out there. It just requires the will to do it. It really doesn't require money anymore. It just requires an understanding of knowing how to build a habit-forming product. I've laid that out for you in this book that took me years and years to write and research. <laughs> uh, so the tools are really all out there. That shouldn't be the barrier. This doesn't take a lot of money. I mean, think about, right, even, even these world-changing companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google and WhatsApp, how often do you see these people spend money on ads? Yeah. Almost it's, never. It's, Right. Yeah, Think about it. You sure. see ads for Coca-Cola, for Chevron, for Geico. Do you see many ads for Instagram or Facebook or even Google? Very yeah. little. If you look at these companies' balance sheets, they spend almost nothing on advertising. Why? Because they don't have to. They built yeah. habits. Yeah, that's true. All right. So now let's go on the other side of the uh, spectrum where, uh, you know, how do we protect ourselves from these habits? Because they do eat up a lot of time. So now yeah. coming back uh, to your next book, um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the idea here is that we can control our attention and choose our life by deciding how we want to spend our time. So there's four key steps to becoming indistractable. The first is to master the internal triggers. We talked about how a habit-forming product latches on to some kind of internal trigger, which means fundamentally that time management is pain management. That if we can control our internal triggers, whether that's boredom or loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, whatever it might be, we have to be conscious about what we are turning to to relieve that psychological discomfort. That time management is pain management. So we need to learn tactics to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. And I teach you exactly how to do that. The second step is to make time for traction. I talked to so many people researching Indistractable for the past five years who told me how distracted they were. They couldn't get anything done because their boss wanted this and their kids wanted that. And did you see what just happened in the news? They can't get anything done. And mm. then when I say, well, that's really tough. Can I see what's in your calendar? What did you get distracted from exactly? You know, they would show me their calendar. There's nothing on it. It's blank. <laughs> you know, we spend so much money on keeping our stuff safe, right? We have yeah. security systems in our homes, we put our money in a bank, we have uh, you know, alarms on our cars, but when it comes to our time, sure, come in, take as much as you want. 
We don't defend our time. And that's ridiculous. And the first thing you can do is to keep what's called a time boxed calendar. And I'll give you a link in the show notes. I made this very easy tool that anybody can utilize. It's free. You don't have to sign up for anything. You can use this tool for the first time in your life. You'll be able to see the difference between things that are traction, things that you intend to do, and anything that is not traction by definition is distraction. Even things that you think are productive, right? How many times have you sat at your desk and you say, oh, I'm going to do that big project right now. I'm going to work on that thing that you know, I've been procrastinating. I'm going to do the tax thing or the presentation right after I check email. Yeah. Right, right after I check that Slack channel, right after I just look real quick at the news, that feels productive, right? That kind of feels like something I'm supposed to be doing. It's email, that's a good thing, right? Wrong. Yeah. If it's not what you plan to do with your time, it is a distraction by definition. So I don't want to hear you complaining about distraction if you don't know what it distracted you from. You mm. cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. We have to plan our day. And then what we do is we do a quick schedule sync. It takes about 15 minutes a week. And I teach you exactly how to synchronize your schedule with your home, right? With people in your, in your, that you live with, like your, your spouse, for example, uh, with your friends, and most importantly, with your employees, coworkers, and managers, right? Mm -hmm. Having that schedule sync will change your life. It will make you so much more productive, so much happier, and makes it much more likely that you will spend your time the way you want to spend your time as opposed to how someone else wants you to spend your time. The third That's step- great is to hack back the external triggers. So this is kind of the stuff that everybody thinks about in terms of you know, changing notification settings, changing your, your computer settings. And I spend a, a few pages on that stuff, but that's kindergarten stuff, that's easy. What we find is a much more common source of distraction than our technologies turns out to be our workplace environment. That we are constantly called into stupid meetings, superfluous emails, or the thing that causes more distraction than anything else in the workplace is the open floor plan office oh. where employees just come by your desk and say, Hey, let me tell you this piece of gossip or what about this? Or let's talk about that, which is fine. It's no, there's no, nothing wrong with, uh, with interacting with your workplace colleagues. That's great, but do it on your schedule, not on somebody else's schedule. So mm -hmm. every copy of indistractable comes with a solution to this problem. The solution to this problem is a cardstock pullout. You, you put, rip it out of the book. You fold into thirds, it's this bright red sign. You put it on your computer monitor and it tells your colleagues, I am indistractable at the moment, please come back later. That's called hacking back the external triggers, right? Because external triggers aren't just from our technology, they come from all sorts of sources, our colleagues, even our kids. I have solutions for what you do if you work from home. Yeah. Then the final answer, the final thing that we do, the fourth step is to prevent distraction with pacts. And PACs are these pre-commitments, these things that we decide in advance to make sure we don't get distracted later on. So there's things that we can do to keep ourselves in when we are trying to focus on, uh, to keep ourselves focused on the task at hand instead of getting distracted. And here there are three types of PACs. We have price PACs, effort PACs, and identity PACs. And I show you how you can actually use technology against itself, right? We can use tech to block yeah. out tech to make sure that we don't get distracted when we say we are going to do focused work. Yeah, that's awesome, that's great. But the, the important uh, thing here to realize, by the way, is that a few things. One, these are things that we can do ourselves. There's also an entire section in the book about how we can build an indistractable workplace. Because the fact is, you know, our, the company culture really matters. And what I found in my research is that as much as individuals can do, if the company culture does not respect people's time and constantly interrupts them, 
That is the real source of distraction at work. The real source of distraction at work is a crappy company culture. And I tell you mm -hmm. how you can change your company culture. I can tell, I tell you how to raise indistractable kids and even how to be an indistractable lover. Awesome. That's great. Well, I, I need to get that book for sure now. Um, uh, you brought up a very interesting point, which is the open uh, uh, workplace. Uh, and, you know, all these companies we mentioned earlier, Facebook, Google, and, um, you know, a, a lot of these uh, tech giants, they pride themselves in having these open spaces for their, their employees to sort of move, move around and collaborate and all that. So is that uh, going against the common convention where, you know, they actually... Uh, they actually attribute their success to this type of open communication, open uh, work plan. So uh, can you unpack that for us sure. and shed a little bit more light on that? So it's like what Paul Virilio said. He said, when you invent the ship, you invent the shipwreck. Mm -hmm. So the number one reason companies have open floor plan offices, let's be very honest, it's to save on square footage. You save a lot of money when you don't have to give people their own offices. That's the real reason yeah. people do this. There isn't much data that in increases creativity and all that stuff. It's a little bit BS. Mm -hmm. But there, there probably is some ancillary benefits from running into people where we actually see this happening is when we have the water cooler conversations, right? You're on your way to get a snack and you bump into Jim from accounting and you have a little chit chat. That's great. I would argue that while at your desk, it's not helpful. It's only hurtful. And so what I recommend is, is using these techniques like a screen sign to tell people for right now, I don't want to be bothered. Now that doesn't mean all day, right? Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about an hour, maybe two hours when you need to be focused, when you need to do your work. Because the fact is, what do we make as knowledge workers? What's our output, right? If you're a carpenter, you know what you make. If you're a, a baker, you know what you make. What do we as knowledge workers make? We make one thing. As knowledge workers, our output is to find creative solutions to hard problems. That's what we do. Whether you're an engineer, a marketer, uh, a CEO, whatever, what you do for a living is to come up with, with, with novel solutions to hard problems. And that can only be done through focused work. That can only be done when we have time to just do one thing at a time. We cannot do our best work if we're constantly interrupted and distracted. The, the, the sad thing is we don't even realize what's going on. We think we're doing a great job and we don't realize that we're doing a great job despite the fact that we constantly get distracted. We don't even realize our full potential, how much better we could be at a job if we did our work in a focused, indistractable manner. That's cool. That's cool. That's very true as well. Uh, now, you know, both these things that we, we talked about, both the books there, again, uh, you know, they, they actually touch upon the human psychology at a very deep level. So, um, what is your background? Did you have a background in psychology? How did you get uh, turned into these, these topics? Yeah, yeah. I went to Stanford Business School and I taught uh, classes there after I graduated, uh, along with a professor by the name of Baba Shiv for many years. He was very kind and kind of uh, gave me carte blanche to design a class around this. And then I, I also taught a class at the uh, Hazel Plattner Institute of Design for many years at Stanford as well. That's cool. Um, now, you know, carrying that sort of um, uh, that point forward, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they, they get into a business and they, they have all these dreams to make a lot of money, uh, but then they don't do a lot of work in, in terms of their mindset and sort of, you know, figuring out exactly what they want in life, not just in terms of money, but in other areas of their lives as well. So uh, obviously you seem to have a lot of, uh, you know, a good conversation with entrepreneurs and know how they think and they work. So what are your views about the importance of the right mindset before you enter into any business or start a startup? 
Yeah, you know, my advice to entrepreneurs is to just make sure that you're turning your values into time. I think where we get into trouble is that we expect uh, home life to just fall into the cracks of work life. And I think that's a mistake. I, I don't have any problem with someone wanting to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. If you want to start a company, that's what you're in for. And if that's not suitable for you and your values, you probably shouldn't do that, right? Just like yeah. uh, if you have really bad allergies, maybe being a forest ranger is not for you, okay? It's going to yeah. be very difficult for you to succeed if that's not according to your values, if that's not what you're equipped to do. But if you do want to do that, fantastic, do it. But what I advise you to do is to turn your values into time, okay? It's not fair to your family or to your kids or to your friends to tell them you're going to work X number of hours and then cheat on them and then lie mm. to them. My wife actually, so I met my wife in college and we met in an economics class. And I remember we learned this term called residual beneficiary. A residual beneficiary is the chump who gets whatever is left over after mm -hmm. debt holders and equity holders have been given whatever's left in a company after the company is liquidated, right? First comes mm -hmm. debt, that comes equity holders. The last, last people are what's called the residual beneficiary. And they get whatever, you know, pennies on the dollar are left over. And, yeah. you know, my wife approached me a few years ago when we were really struggling with distraction and, and living up to my values. And she says, look, I'm not a residual beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And that was a really powerful message for me because what I was doing is I was, I was giving her whatever time was left over. Yeah, yeah. And that's mean. It's not, it's not according, that does, that I was living not according to my values. Now, if you're not married and if you don't care about your home life, I'm not telling you you should care about your kids and your wife or your, your husband. That's up to you, right? You yeah. need to have your own values. But if that is valuable for you, you have to plan your time. You have to plan your day. Or these things won't slip into the cracks, right? If you want to take care of your body, if that's one of your values to take care of your physical health, do you have time for that in your calendar? If you want to upgrade your, your mind and learn, is that in your calendar? If relationships, friends are important to you, do you have time to regularly interact with people you love? And of course, in your work, if focused work time is important, are you constantly reacting to emails and meetings? Or do you have time on your calendar to reflect? So my goal is not to tell you what you should do with your time. My goal is to help you be honest with yourself about how you want to spend your time and help you live up to your values by turning your values into time. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, uh, to, uh, to get this discussion forward, so the point that you raise, you have to be honest to yourself. Um, what I find is a lot of people lack this kind of self-awareness to be able to actually figure out what is important to them. And they sort of go with the flow of, um, you know, running after other people's value. Uh, so what you, what you mentioned about, you know, spending time with your family, spending, learning uh, time, spending time learning new things and, and these type of things, it may be very valuable to, to me, but if I'm not very aware of what is, uh, what, what is it that I value, I'll just keep going after more money and working 80 hours a week. What has been your experience in terms of the level of self-awareness entrepreneurs have? I mean, I think, I think that's fine. Look, I mean, there's no, living in a free society means you're free to make bad choices. <laughs> and so it's not up to me to tell you, you have to spend time with your family or spend time reading books. You can do whatever you want with your time, but I think yeah. you should do that with intent. And the best way to do that, you know, a lot of people, they, they try and come up with these big hairy goals. And I think that's, it's really tough, right? What are your values? I don't know. What are my values? That's really hard for folks. So instead start with a calendar, mm -hmm. right? Take a calendar. I'll give you this link in the show notes where you make, I made it very, very easy for you. 
Take a look at your week. Put in the things that can't change. You need sleep. You need to eat. You need to commute. You need to take care of your hygiene. Make sure you shower. Put those things in your calendar first. Then see what is left over. Start with the you domain, right? What kind of things are important to take care of for you? If you don't take care of you, you can't take care of others. Do you want time for physical health? Do you want time to learn? If those things are important to you, put those in first. The next thing you do is if time with your family, this is called the, the relationship domain. If time with your family, your friends is important to you, put that in your calendar, only if it's important to you. Then with the work domain, put in the things that are important to you to make sure you do at work. Do you have time to check your emails? Do you have time to, for meetings? Do you have time for focused work? That has to be in your calendar as well. And then what you want to do is every week, you want to just review that calendar to make sure that you are still living up to your values. By starting with that template, the first time it'll take you maybe 30 minutes. By doing that, you will be concrete about how you want to spend your time. You know, if you want to know the measure of a person, you have to look at their calendar, how they spend their time. There's one thing that people say are their values, but if you actually want to see someone's values, see how they spend their time. So make sure you spend your time the way you want as opposed to someone, how someone else wants to. And this process is much, much easier because there's only so many hours in the day, right? Yeah. So we play like this little Tetris game where we can fill up all the time in our day and that's very black and white. We don't have to get into all of this, you know, uh, you know, what are my values and spiritualness and all that stuff. Just make time for it. <laughs> and whatever's cool. not in your calendar, you don't do. Or flop, yeah. flip and flop something out so that you can make sure you live uh, the life you want according to your values. Awesome. That's very well said. Well, thank you so much. And uh, this has been a very fascinating conversation. Uh, please uh, go check out uh, Nier's book. And I'm pretty sure I'll do that uh, right away. Um, now, before I let you go, can you tell us how people can reach out to you? Sure. So my website is nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R. So that's N-I-R and far.com. And if, if you're looking about the book itself, the book is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. And if you go to indistractable.com, I have a free 80-page workbook as well as a video course. It's also complimentary as well as many other tools all at indistractable.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your knowledge and wisdom. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. And that's all for now. Until next time. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or a career professional, then I invite you to join our growing community. Navigate to bootstrapping.group. As a welcome bonus, you will get the Startup Founders Technology Accelerator video series and Mastering Your Inner Game video series absolutely free. This series of short videos address some core issues which are instrumental in helping you move forward in your business or career. The videos are yours to view and share for free. No obligations or strings attached. Except for one, you have to take action and implement it. So join us today, navigate to bootstrapping.group. If you want more engaging videos and insightful interviews with industry's thought leaders, then check out the other videos we have picked for you. The link is right there. And if you want to be notified about our new content, please do consider subscribing to our channel.